0: In troubling times such as these, those who inhabit the great house look to the past for answers and solutions to the problems of the present. Unfortunately, whether it is the past, the present, or the future, it was then as it is now and as it will ever be. For all that can be found is tragedy and terror at Collinwood. Friend, where you tread, for I warn you now there are spoilers ahead.
1: Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. I am your hostess, Penny Dreadful, aka Danielle, and I am here with Dr. Andrew Higgins. I am really excited to have him here. Finally, it's taken taken a while for me to to schedule this and I do apologize, but uh, Dr. Andrew Higgins is a Tolkien scholar who received his PhD through Cardiff Metropolitan University on the genesis of Tolkien's mythology and co-edited with Dr. Dimitra Fimi the book, A Secret Vice, Tolkien on Language Invention, published by HarperCollins in February 2020 after 11 years as director of development at the Glyndebourne Opera, he started a new adventure as director of development at Imperial War Museums. Andrew is a trustee of British Youth Opera, the UK Tolkien Society and Signum University. He also wrote a scholarly essay entitled The Gothic World Building of Dark Shadows, which was featured in the 2020 publication Exploring Imaginary Worlds Essays on Media, Structure, and Sub-Creation. Andrew, thank you so much for being here today.
2: Um, thank you, Penny. Oh, it is it, it is amazing to be here. And as as I said to you before we started uh, taping, I am so excited and grateful for what you're doing with the Dark Shadows community and this podcast because I love Dark Shadows. I love geeking out on Dark Shadows. And so to have fellow Dark Shadows people all around the world doing it is amazing. So thank you for everything you're doing.
1: Oh my goodness, goes it- Gosh, it's uh it's my pleasure. And I appreciate you, you know, you were one of the first listeners who actually reached out to me when I launched the podcast with some really nice emails. And you sent me some, you actually hipped me to uh something I was unaware of, which was um Seabury Quinn's uh the door without a key okay, being yeah. the inspiration for the I Ching. Uh, usage in dark shadows and uh, I read the story you sent me sent it to me uh from weird tales and wow you are 100% on the money with that because oh, that God. really is the story <laughs>
2: I have to I have to thank an amazing guy who's a fantastic Tolkien scholar, but he is also one of the authorities on Lovecraft and things like Douglas A. Anderson. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was telling him some of the dark. He's watched Dark Shadows, but I was telling some of the stories and he's the one that pointed me to see Barry Quinn's door without a key. He has one of the most incredible collections of kind of fantastic and fantasy and Lovecraft and everything. And so I really have to thank him for that. He, he, He got me in that direction i'm still working with him on the dream curse we're trying to we're trying to figure out where angelique's dream curse came from but yeah
1: that one i don't know if they they may have just created that one uh, on on their own but dark shadows is you know it's a it's a tapestry of all these uh, stories you know
2: Storyline in the, in the world exactly for all the for all the different storylines yes exactly
1: yeah but the, that's that door without a key I mean it really is the they throwing the wands and then
2: visualizing yes. seeing the door that visualizing opens the, going to the what past I watched it, the first time I thought I thought this isn't really what the I Ching is for I mean it's like mm-hmm. a fortune telling thing and then and then when I read this I said aha this is where they got it from yeah yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and and I read your amazing article on, um, on dark shadows and world building, the world building of dark shadows, and how you know there's sort of the trans media uh, mm. world building of dark shadows, and how it evolved, uh, the show itself evolved as it went along. And I want to talk about that, but first, before we get into all of that, talk to me about your history with dark shadows. Now you live in the UK. You've been living in the UK for the last 22 years, I think you said. Yes. So, but you're from New York originally, I'm right?
2: From New York City. Um, mm. Yep, I lived in New York City. And I, I was, I was just trying to think back. So I think my earliest memory of dark shadows, you know, I, I was one of the kids who ran home from school, like the, fantastic book that's just come out that i just finished which yes. is brilliant mm-hmm. uh and um i can vaguely remember the 1840 I, I remember the head of judah zachary very well i remember mm-hmm. that and my cousins chris and alicia used to watch it with my brother tom and i and mm-hmm. i remember we would all and then I, I i remember the the last six months really well and we used to go down to the studio and everything and stand in front of the studio and stuff and then i watched it i watched the whole series again in reruns when they showed it on the New Jersey network. I was living in Secaucus, New Jersey at the time. And I remember it always came on after Uncle Floyd. Uh, yes. was a, a bit of an, a reverent children's show, shall we say. Um, yes. <laughs> and I remember going to the bottom line in New York and actually seeing the Uncle Floyd show. And, 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 wow. And oh, Uncle cool. Floyd. Uh, and, I, and of course, I, I, I really got into it. I've always been interested in the gothic and vampires and things. I think I'm, I'm my father, um, somewhere there's a, a, a cassette tape. Of my. They asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, I want to be a graveyard taker. So I can meet Barnabas Collins and that, that that's <laughs> on a page somewhere. But I, um I, I really got into it when I was watching it on the New Jersey Network and I started going to the conventions. And so I went to the one at the uh sadly no longer there, World Trade Center at the Vista. Yeah. And I remember meeting Joan Bennett. <laughs> And I remember meeting Jonathan Frid and I can still see his eyes. And I met Catherine Lee Scott and Laura Parker. And there was a wonderful question and answer where people started, you know, asking Joan Bennett questions about what what she was thinking of this scene and things like that. And You could tell she could clearly not remember. (laughs) Yes. Uh she would ask the fans, what were you thinking? And there was a wonderful present, there was a wonderful skit that was done called The Bed, which was all about Barnabas buying a bed with Julia Hoffman. And it was the funny, I'll never forget it.
1: Was that That it must have been the Collinsport players? It was the sure?
2: Collinsport players, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> and it was a really good drag, Julia. It was great. It was done very well. And I remember I was staying with I was staying with my dad at the time, and I decided to stay very very late and because they showed the two movies at the end of the night. Um I mean it's amazing at these conferences you go in these rooms and they would just run episodes. So you'd see the whole mm-hmm. 1795 storyline and stuff like that. And um I stayed very late because they showed the two movies and then they showed the movie that Jonathan Frid was in um one of the films he did. And I got in trouble because I got back to Queens really, really late and my father was not happy with me at all. And <laughs> it was worth it. Yeah and I bought a lot of the the you know the, uh, the Marilyn Ross books and stuff like that. And yeah, I just kind of absorbed dark shadows. And then when I was working at my first job at New York city opera, uh, when I got out of college, I started buying the MPI videos. <laughs> and I literally bought every one of those MPI. Videos. Yeah. So <laughs>
1: like, did I. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was like boxes and boxes. They of took books. up a lot of space, those tapes and the and covers went, were great. I, that the was covered, And, Mm-hmm. And the extras were amazing that they filmed all the interviews yes. and everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, so I watched that again. And then when I lived in Florida uh, for a while, you know, we watched them all on videotape. And then, of course, when they all came out on DVD and I own them, they're all sitting in my living room right now. I'm looking at them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I own all of them. And then, of course, I just recently, like a couple of weeks ago, I read Patrick McRae's brilliant book, you know, The Dark Shadows Day book. Yes. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. he suggested um, an interesting way to watch the series would be to start with 1795 and watch all the way through to when Barnabas gets chained in the coffin and then watch Barnabas when he reappears in 19, you know, with Willie Loomis.
1: Yeah, that's really brilliant. I mean, that's a great idea to watch it in that order. Uh, How are you finding that?
2: I'm into, so I just got to the episode where Anjali turns Jeremiah into a cat. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, Joshua. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Joshua. Sorry. Remember, Joshua into a cat. Yeah. Uh, And I love, I love it's so funny. There's two things that I that point that jumped down at me right away. One is when Barnabas is choking, mm-hmm. he constantly says to Angeli, can you help me? Like he knows mm-hmm. that she must have some kind of power or something. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. And the other one is I love how the countess is going, there's a there's an evil woman in this house, and yeah, but no one. <laughs> Focuses on Angelique, who's out there picking herbs and, you know, doing. this.
1: Right, right, right. I mean, at some point, I remember Trask questions Angelique, but it's it's later. It
2: really plays up to Trask, doesn't she? she doesn't yes. Say, oh,
1: know. it's a brilliant scene. I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the two of them. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe I mean, it's interesting with Barnabas because he seems very naive at first but you also find out that during his travels that he's encountered mystical things like the secret number of the universe and then yes, yeah. and then in 1897 he knew how to deal with a zombie um uh, so he, he encountered that when he was in the west indies so he saw some things so it's yeah. like is he in denial in 1795 did he just Kind of dismiss yeah, those but, things that he saw at that point, or yeah. So yeah. I've been
2: doing that, and then I've also just—I'm almost done. I'm on book thirty-one, I think it is, of the of listening of the audio books, the brilliant audiobooks read by Catherine Lee Scott, who's yes,
1: yeah, and the I Ross just, novels, the, the audio yes. versions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: They're so good, and what's what's amazing in hearing her form them, is you can tell that she's imbuing the characters with the memories of the voices she, you know, of those actors.
0: Yes.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so Elizabeth Collins started sounds like Joan Bennett, you know, and all of that. And she does a great mm-hmm. Barnabas. She does amazing voices. I mean, yeah, the, the, this last one, she, you know, yeah, she had all these accents. So I've got one more to do, which is uh, Barnabas and the Vampire Beauty, which is the Elizabeth Bathory story. I think, Yes. Basically. Yeah.
1: yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I listened to um, recently the Barnabas Collins versus the Warlock, and oh, yeah. she did the great voice for that uh, for for the professor in that and the uh, Asaph Clay. There should be a drinking game for how many times yeah. the name Asaph Clay is mentioned. Oh, wow! <laughs> but it and I was... love
2: the fact that Collinwood has a swamp. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. The swamp. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, those are, they're, they're definitely, and I want to talk about that in terms of that world too, and Mm -hmm. all the different worlds of dark shadows, you know, and how that supplements the core dark shadows. Now, um, I also wanted to ask you. Like, I had uh, when I had Stuart Manning on here, I talked to him about Dark Shadows in the UK and how when the Sci-Fi Channel started airing it there, there was you know it was never as big as it was here, but it got a cult fan base uh, there. Um, but what's been your experience in terms of Dark Shadows in the UK? Uh,
2: I haven't met many people who know it. I mean, they mainly mm-hmm. know it through that you know not to be mentioned movie, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, (laughs) And and ironically, I was at a party a couple of weeks ago and someone mentioned the Revival series to me. I think it was Ben Cross just recently passed away mm-hmm. and I said oh yeah i remember watching him they they had the revival series on itv or something like that mm-hmm. but there aren't which is one of the channels here but most of the people i talk to here about dark shadows they kind of look at me and smile and go okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 All
0: right.
2: I've, tr- I've turned some people on to it here actually yeah. i say, so you've oh, got to cool. watch it's amazing good, you know good 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 <laughs> yeah yeah so i was I was, with, I was with a friend and we were walking by cadogan square which is uh, a Yes. So I was yes. By, uh, the Royal Albert Hall. And I say, oh, this is where Barnabas said he lived. You know? Yes. You know, <laughs> with, what was his name? Um, Bradford. Oh, Ni- oh,
1: Niall Bradford. Niall's um, Bradford.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes, his cousin Niall Bradford.
1: Somebody needs to write a fanfic about Niall Bradford. I wonder if that exists. Somebody must have done it at some point. Um, yeah. Uh, Stuart mentioned to me one thing I didn't know, too, was that. Either Dan Curtis or ABC tried to syndicate Dark Shadows to um, the the BBC back after right after it went off the air like shortly after it went off the air here and sometime in the early 70s and the BBC passed on it at that at that time which is a shame because that would have been a really cool and I'm kind of surprised because when I look at early Doctor Who episodes Mm. I mean there isn't it's not a a leap a big leap from Dark Shadows to Doctor Who in terms of the the way the production looked and stuff yeah
2: yeah Mm. yeah I think it would be I think it would be very popular over here actually I mean I think it would be Mm. Would yeah. have been an interesting one, but yeah, but no, yeah. not many people I know.
1: Well, now with the know. streaming too, uh, streaming channels, it's more easily accessible if people want to want to find it. Yeah. Um, and,
2: and recently, there was this, there was this like couple of weeks where on Netflix, like Dark, that that movie that shall not be mentioned, uh, <laughs> was very popular, and people kept going, "Is this the Dark Shadows you're talking about?" I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> the only good thing about that is that some of the original actors appear in a very once two one or two scenes although we're not quite sure in what context they're appearing but right a, yeah Yeah. You know, as a no 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 that's not dark shadows not Dark. Shadows.
1: yeah it was so disappointing when you see them for just us two seconds you know they're, they're in the doorway and then and
2: fred had to go all the way over to england yeah. and he wasn't feeling you know he wasn't in great shape and they no. you know you, I think they would have given him more screen time, basically. Right. Even if it's
1: just a cutaway to him, just kind of standing there looking at the portrait, or some, you know, yeah. something like that. And I had heard there was a, supposed to be a scene with um, David Selby with some dialogue with between him and Johnny Depp, and uh, I don't know what happened to that. So I don't know even know if that's true, but I had read that somewhere too. So um, yeah, that's that's a, that's a shame, but I'm glad we got to see them anyway uh however briefly so uh, let's talk about your article um uh, the gothic world building of dark shadows um which um is a scholarly article as part of a a collection of academic essays about exploring imaginary worlds uh and dark shadows um mark when mark b perry was on here he quoted um an article Uh, That was I think it was on the um, uh, Sydney Morning Herald uh, about the the show, a vampire show called Firebite. And I actually pulled the quote and the quote was Firebite is more true blood than Game of Thrones, obviously, but also benefits from past cable masterworks like Deadwood and Carnival with their sharp and bold story points and natural ease with building an internal mythology. That last word, mythology, can be intimidating to both network executives and audiences, but it needn't be. The best genre shows of all time, Twin Peaks and Dark Shadows, were both built on mountains of the stuff. So Dark Shadows, it is rich in mythology. And part of that the, the serialized format of Dark Shadows, as you mentioned in, in your article as well, uh, actually, I pulled that quote too. the narrative structure of the soap opera or daytime drama makes it an important candidate for in-depth world building. And it really is the case. So what is it about the, the mythology of Dark Shadows that appeals to you? Uh, how do you how do you dis- how would you describe the mythology of Dark Shadows?
2: Yeah, it's a good. One. I mean, the way I got the the way this interest started for me is in 2012. A really interesting book came out by a guy named Mark J. P. Wolf, who edited this volume. Called mm-hmm. Building imagine world, building building imaginary worlds, and what he his whole idea was instead of looking at the narrative of a story, look at the world that the narrative is describing, mm-hmm. and how is that world being created by using text, language, paratext, and when, and my Tolkien interest. So my main Tolkien interest. Mm-hmm. and kind of the work I did on the thesis. And then when I co-edited A, a Secret Vice talking on language adventure with Dr. Feemi, was around this idea of how is language used in world building? You know, how did we mm-hmm. create peoples and cultures and things like that through the use of language? And, and I did, you know, I've done some work and I continue to do work on Tolkien. There's more coming actually. But oh, then my. I started looking at other texts and the things that fascinates me too is, as you said, kind of that trans media layering that happens when you have, you know, text, you have all kinds of text, you have written text, you have videos, you have what are called paratexts, like Mm -hmm. maps and writing and all that kind of stuff. And how is a world created? And what I what I as I say in the article, I think one of the things Dark Shadows had is it was a daytime serial. It had the uh, the luxury of building long storylines and creating that sense of depth, basically, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and so you know, I mean, I think Jonathan Frid described it as, as a, a dark Brigadoon. You know, yes. it's kind of this world in itself, and it it didn't really comment on the real world. It, it kind of lived in its own bubble. I mean, we knew there was a world out there, but like, no one ever watched just television, or they might dance, you know, down at the Blue Whale to the jukebox and things like that. But there's not a lot of the real world there, so it creates this world. You're you and you come into that world. It's almost what's called a portal framework. Like if you think of something like Narnia through yeah. Victoria Winters initially by saying, my name is Victoria Winters. And then, it, you know, that entry into it, basically. And I think you're right. I think it used, because it used so many Gothic and horror tropes, basically, it created its own mythology that had a depth of history, basically. Um, This is not uncommon in other subs. I mean, funny enough, I'm a massive fan. There's a soap over here called EastEnders, which has been yes. on, UK TV for many, many years. And the other day, someone mentioned a character that's been dead, you know, many, many years but it immediately had a depth of history to it because I remember that character. I lived that character's life. Mm-hmm. And so it creates a sense, this, what Tolkien called this inner consistency of reality, you know, yeah. and that's what dark shadows did so that you, you know, the history of these characters, you know, where they've been, you know, and, and in the case of dark shadows, you know, where they're going in some cases. Right. And so I think, that's how it created a world. You know, it created its own world, its own mythology, its own stories. And we can live in that world. And the reason we can discuss and debate what was Barnabas, you know, was when Barnabas went to Angélique and said, please help me, you know, in 1795 when he's being strangled, what's the story behind that? What happened that, you know, we know we we can have a sense of because we have a sense of the world, basically. So there's a depth to it. And I think these days we see a lot of this happening through this idea of the multi-narrative, you know, narrative. if you look at the Marvel Universe or any of them, basically. What I find fascinating about Dark Shadows, too, kind of like Star Trek, which I, I've just written a chapter about it for another book, is this idea of also the fan participation and the fan development of the world through things like mm-hmm. fan fiction. And you have the world of Dark Shadows and, of course, the conventions, which I got to go to a couple of. I mean people like, you know, I met Joan Bennett, I met Jonathan, Fred, Catherine, you know, you get to meet these people and actually talk to them, which is amazing. So there's that all that goes together, what Mark Wolf calls the gestalt of the world, basically, you know, mm-hmm. um, and through that, you create a world that you can enter, that you can participate in, that you can discuss, that you can debate. <laughs> right, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? And that's the mark of a true world that you can do all that, you know, and that's what we can do in Dark Shadows, you know, and new stories are being written, you know, new TV series are being created and all that. It's all Dark Shadows, basically.
1: Right. Some fans do love that sort of playing in that world and, and trying to, uh, to discuss it as if it's, you know, it's a story, it's a real world. It's a story mm-hmm. that's been created. And having been an Englishman, I teach English, uh, English professor, but I have been in that sort of discussing stories, discussing worlds, figuring out, you know, character motivations Um, and looking at it from um, a formalist point of view which is about reading the story um, based solely on the text itself without considering external factors like what the writers forgot to include or something like that and sometimes you'll talk to fans who do really get into that and like talking about it. And Some fans will say well the writers forgot and that always that's not I, I think it's difficult to when somebody thinks in is in that mindset or oh, the writers forgot or that's not yeah. the right way to 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 look at dark shadows because it was you know created very sort of spontaneously, and it, and that is the real world explanation for a lot of it. I, it's difficult to try to mm-hmm. kind of explain what it means to look at that world and try to examine it within the context of the mythology of that world and how it functions. You know.
2: Yeah, you have to. You have to operate. Uh, I, I I find this with Tolkien too, and mm-hmm. we won't go into all the current stuff that's going on around Tolkien. I want New to talk Africa. a little bit. I do yeah. want, I want to talk, talk a little bit about, about that. That. okay. <laughs> but you almost have to you almost have to live in two worlds. There's the primary world, which is looking into the secondary world mm-hmm. from the primary world and saying, okay, clearly, you know, when they wrote Barnabas, they had no idea what was going to happen with Angelique and Josette. And when he makes that you know, on that in that episode when he when there's a storm, well there's always a storm in Collingwood, but but he tells Vicky <laughs> and Carolyn the story of what happened that night on Widow's Hill, and clearly that doesn't match up exactly with what happens later in 1795. Mm-hmm. And you can say, well, that's because they hadn't created the Angelique, they hadn't created that storyline yet. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fine from a primary world point of view, but from a secondary world point of view, you can analyze it and say, well, why isn't he telling the Exact story, mm-hmm, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and 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 look at it from a secondary world perspective. So I think that's the that's the fun in a way. Yes. I mean, Roland Barthes said that you know the death of the author and all that kind of stuff. And you know, you, you know, uh, in the Tolkien world, you often hear, "Well, Tolkien would never have you know believe you know would never have done this," uh, you know, but. Mm-hmm every adaptation is a new adaptation basically. And it brings in new insights and things like that. So yeah, I think, I think, I I think you put a kind of damper on things. If you just think, well, no, we have to think of it this way that, you know, Anjali cannot been created. Therefore what Barnabas was saying was, you know, was, was what was true at the time. You know, no, mm-hmm. in the secondary world, there's probably other reasons why he's not telling Carolyn and Victoria what really happened. It's, a, it's, it's the game to play in a way, you know, but it is. Um,
1: yeah. Yep. I uh, describe it that way too. It is, it is like a game or a puzzle of trying yeah. to, to figure out, uh, as you say, in the, in the secondary world, why, that was set or when Barnabas tells Julia about his history with Josette and it's completely different from what we actually saw. It's like, why did Barnabas tell her that? Was he lying? Why was he lying? Was he misremembering it somehow? Or did something scramble his memories? Like, you know, we know Angelique was visiting the mausoleum from what we saw in 1840. Maybe Angelique was casting some spell to muddle his memory. You know, I mean, it's an inter- it's interesting to kind of explore things like
2: that. The one that always gets me is really early on when barnabas uh first comes to collinwood in the in when when willie takes him out of the carpet he says you know where were you when they put me yes yeah i always find that i always think you know there needs to be some kind of exploration of why he says they put me because Clearly, later on, it's it's his father Joshua who chains him to the co- you know in the coffin basically. Mm-hmm. What is what does he mean by they there? You maybe
1: know? Ben too. It's Joshua and
0: Ben. Been,
2: yeah, maybe. yeah but, maybe. But but, but the, in the prime. But in the primary role, you can say well because they still hadn't figured out the story. It sure. was 1895, but. Mm-hmm. But if you do that, then you're just living, then you're looking into it. And as Tolkien said, you know, if anything goes world in your secondary world building, then you're you're in the primary world looking into this. He said this in an essay called On Fairy Stories, which he gave in 19, in the 1930s, um, and where he basically said, if you construct a good secondary world then you're not in the primary world looking into the secondary world. You are in the secondary yeah. world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that kind of thing. And so, you, you, by secondary, like you,
1: you were, you quote Mark Wolf several times in your article with regard to dark shadows. And I actually, I pulled a quote from that too. The initial story world of dark shadows was very much like the example Wolf gives of overlaid worlds in which there are fictional elements overlaid into a real world setting. However, as this texture of the, stories narratives started to change the world of dark shadows would move further along wolf's spectrum of secondariness is this what you mean when you when you yeah, say secondary
2: so secondariness i think is important because you're right it starts it starts out very much more in the primary world and of course before you know we get the first supernatural that's just the the hint there's the Jane Eyre and all of that, mm-hmm. but then as Dan Curtis started going for it. We get, we get, of course, the ghost of Josette, we get the the phoenix, of course, and then, of course, we get Barnabas. And then from there, it goes mm-hmm. more and more into that, that spectrum of secondary world. And you know, yeah. you're in time travel and parallel time and future time,
0: <laughs> yes, yeah,
2: sure, all, all of that, basically, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I love I love that uh, you you keep drawing parallels to Tolkien here because of course Tolkien was was the master of world building. I just he created an entire mythology for his yeah. world, a uh, deep, rich mythology that is still beloved today and debated and discussed. What what, what are your thoughts in terms of Tolkien's ongoing? story because I want to get into the d- discussion about canon and
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I want to look at, at canon too because some people don't really like that word or like or some yep. and some people really they live and die by canon. So I want mm-hmm. I what are your thoughts on like for example Amazon is doing this Tolkien uh series Lord of the Rings series. What are your thoughts on that? Do you accept new stories in the Lord of the Rings world or is it cool but not Part of Lord, like, what are your thoughts on that?
2: I, well, I think one of the incredible accomplishments of Tolkien, and you know, he spent he spent most of his life working on what he would call his legendarium, which is the collected mythology. And mm-hmm. you know, there are various versions of it, starting with the book of you know the book of lost tales that he wrote right after World War One, and he was working on it to practically the day he died. You know, he was working on notes for Galadriel a couple of weeks before his death. So he, there's a vast there's a vast canvas to play with there. And Tolkien himself said that you know some of the stories he would complete in full and others he would only outline to be Put together by other hands, you know, mm-hmm. he, he understood that. I think when we get to the Amazon series, they clearly have been, you know, they, they've they they've acquired the rights for cert, from certain parts of Tolkien's work, especially the appendices to Lord of the Rings and things like that. It's going to be set in the second age, which we do have some texts about, mm-hmm. but they are clearly going to build upon that and develop new storylines and new characters and things like that. And for me, if that gets people in interested in Tolkien. It's like I said when the films came, the Peter Jackson films came out, which I thought were brilliant. Mm-hmm. If that gets people interested in reading Tolkien, I'm all for it, basically. As long as, you know, as as long as, as again, they are faithful to the the those storylines, if they adapt those storylines. Do you know what I mean? It's, sure. uh, and I think I think they will be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I'm I'm not a big fan of people getting I I, of getting all upset because they're tampering with Tolkien's work. You know, I think there's Mm -hmm. such a vast canvas there. You know, some people will like it. Some people won't. Okay, that's fine. But I don't think it should stop people from enjoying it. And it certainly shouldn't stop people from exploring Tolkien's works, basically. Right. Um, Right. And I think. You know that this idea of Tolkien would be horrified if mentality mm-hmm. uh, is one that stops exploration, and and <laughs> and I think these days we need as much exploration as possible. We need people to dig into these texts and bring new perspectives to it. So I'm I'm all for it. I'm not bothered by it, quite frankly. And if it gets people to read more Tolkien, then job done. That's great. She now,
1: do, do you feel the same way about Dark Shadows and? Yeah, spin off uh, with you with regard to dark shadows.
2: Yeah I'm looking forward to I'm looking to forward I'm looking forward to what, what they're going to do with it. I mean again mm-hmm. I think again if it's done in a in a good respectful way you know it's like when I worked in opera you know if if an opera director came on board and said that they wanted to I don't know, set Madam Butterfly on the moon. If the director had done their work and really came up with a reason why that would make sense, I would go for it. Mm-hmm. If they were just doing it to shock and set Madam Butterfly on the moon, then I had a problem <laughs> with it. <laughs> right, right. So I think if the people who are, going to revitalize Dark Shadows, clearly are fans of the show. They clearly love it. It's going to be done from a labor of love. Then then I think it will be brilliant. Will it have new storylines? Yes. Will they all be great? Who knows? But it's. I, I don't like people, I don't like getting mired in this idea that there is one text and that's it, and it can't be changed and stuff like that. And I, quite frankly, you know, Tolkien wrote a lot of fan fiction When you think about it, tolkien you know, the fall of Arthur, uh, you know, Sigurd and Gudrun. This was a lot of fan fiction. Tolkien was taking texts that he loved and studied and had a passion for. And he built upon them and he adapted them and he changed them, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why shouldn't we do the same with his work?
1: Absolutely. One thing I want to touch on, too, is with regard to Dark Shadows in terms of its storytelling. Um, It does have that serialized structure. One thing you point out in your article, and I wish i had mentioned this when I did my characteristics of the gothic episode, that Curtis subverted the traditional opening narration of past radio and television soap operas in which the voice of the sponsor would attempt to sell the soap or cleaning product to the listener before the episode began. In the case of Dark Shadows, an actor from the episode would deliver a voiceover narration as a teaser for the episode to follow. This would position the Dark Shadows world-building narrative as a tale being told, the television equivalent of the gothic text trope of the entry into a journal or chronicle, as in the entries made by Jonathan Harker in his journal at the beginning of Ram Stoker's Dracula. You, you are right on point with that. It's, um, and I think it's important, if you're going to do Dark Shadows, I think you have to really lean into those gothic horror, gothic romance traits that are intrinsic to Dark Shadows. It is a serialized story, but I think if you push too far into more traditional soap territory you start to lose what dark shadows became you have to kind of keep and, and dark shadows are already had that framework you know with the kind of the diary entries at the beginning and yes. i think you kind of have yes. to keep that going you know um that that style that that gothic style for the show uh if you lean too much into trying to do like i don't know like a dynasty or dallas kind of a yeah. kind of a thing like it's you start; It starts to feel like that Instead of like Dark Shadows And Dan Curtis always said Dark Shadows is a very difficult show to do To get the right feel for it And it, you have to look at it Within the context of the gothic To really nail it, you know
2: No, I agree completely And if I mean, certainly If you look at the pre-Barnabas Well, let's say pre-Phoenix episodes mm-hmm. You know, it, it is trying to be that And yet it still has a lot of those Traditional yes. soap tropes to it mm-hmm. And I think that's when Dan Curtis saw that he had to, you know, radically change it if it was going to stay on the air, basically. And that, you know, that scene when the ghost of Josette, you know, came out of the, which was played by Catherine Lee Scott, apparently on a day, day off she had or something, you know, that when when that happens and you think, wow, okay, this is not your traditional soap opera. But even, I, I mean, I, I often think what it must have been like, because I've watched on YouTube, like some of those early soaps, you know, with the announcer at the beginning saying, Lux Soaps presents Guiding Light, you know. If sure. you yeah. have watched that in the in the 60s and heard that opening narration, and, you know, my name is Victoria Winters, it must have just been so radical, you know?
1: Right. Yeah, it sets the mood. It creates this spooky feel, this eerie yeah. Yeah. mood.
2: Especially at like 4 it. o'clock in the afternoon, you know, when people, are, you know, back then are, you know, like, you know, what was soap operas for? That was for housewives doing the housework and all that kind of stuff, you know? And then this comes on. I mean, it, it just, it, it must have. I, I often I, like i was thinking about <laughs> that the other night with Star Trek because, you know, the new Star Trek Strange New Worlds is coming out. And sure. I thought, what would it been must have been like to watch the original Star Trek episode with that opening and everything back then? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're you know, it's it's just so different. Been, yeah, exactly. You know, it's just, yeah.
1: 1966 was such an amazing year. For, and you pointed this out in your article, too, that ABC was looking to do more supernatural. Um, yeah stuff at that time um but just just across the board just the shows that came out in 1966 when we're you were talking about running home to shadows uh jeff thompson's article like he lists all the shows that Mm. premiered that year and it was you know of course we know batman star trek and dark shadows but also the monkeys green hornet girl from Mm -hmm. uncle Time Logan Tunnel
2: Heroes. It's that just about a problematic show, but yes. right. yeah,
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Clink is such an iconic character, but yeah, it's there's so I'm much. looking
2: in the Imperial War Museum right now. Yeah, that is an interesting <laughs> one to reflect back. <laughs> <that>. Yes, <laughs> yes.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, it really was quite a year for television, uh, for sure. Real groundbreaking across the board. But um, I want to look a little bit at Canon. Okay, so you talk you talk a lot about transmedia storytelling and sort of the the paratext, paratextual Mm. storytelling. Um, So we look at um, I'm just going to pull another quote here. While the narrative texts of the one thousand two hundred twenty five episodes established the core of the first phase of the dark shadow story world, the world gestalt was also built through a series of paratextual elements. Over several types of media. One of the earliest of these was a series of 33 Dark Shadows novelizations written by William Edward Daniel Ross under the female pen name Marilyn Ross. As with the Ross novelizations, the writers of the comic series took the characters and story situations into new scenarios. So we're talking about the gold key comics here, thus expanding the story world of Dark Shadows through these imaginative texts. And then you go on and you talk about with the Big Finish Audios, 13 part original series Bloodlust, which introduced a new story arc to Collinwood. You talk about Lara Parker's novels from HarperCollins. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. tour Books, HarperCollins, Angelique's Descent, Salem Branch, et cetera. We talk about uh, the 2011 to 2013 Dynamite comics, which published a line of dark shadows using continuity from the original series. Um, and one other thing, uh, I don't know if you mentioned this one, but the, the Sam Hall article in TV Guide also. Yeah.
2: What Happened to Everyone. Yep. yep. Yeah.
1: So there's that as well. So these additional stories that help to add to the world, the greater world of Dark Shadows. I love that stuff, too. I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of it. But there's something you mentioned, too, with the, with regard to the Dark Shadows wiki page, where they tried to do a continuity that weaves in, uh, or at least it tries to weave in the show with the Big Finish audios. And I have some... I, I raise my eyebrow at that sometimes. And especially when it's woven into individual character entries. Like if there's an entry for... Um, I don't know, Joshua, and it references Big Finish stuff mixed in with the show stuff. I feel that stuff should be distinct or have a heading that says Joshua's history from the Big Finish. Because what makes, like if they contradict, for example, like... The, the Lara Parker universe, the Sam Hall TV Guide article, and the Dynamite Comics universe, and the Big Finish universe, and potentially the Dark Shadows Reincarnation universe, if that comes out, like, those probably won't all mesh together. So what is you know, what counts, in other words, as, as canon. And I know some people, when I had Stuart on here, he's like, I roll my eyes whenever I hear the word canon. And I get that a lot of people do, but I'm looking at this from uh, the secondary world perspective, yeah. like what is, what is canon and what isn't. And I was lo- reading up on Canon and, and fan lore. And I pulled this quote, so I pull a lot of quotes today. Uh, Paula M. Block, who was the CBS Consumer Products Senior Director of Product Development for Star Trek. And on the topic of Star Trek Canon for IDW Publishing's uh, focus on Star Trek issue, she says, Canon, in the sense that I use it, is a very important tool. It only gets muddled when people try to incorporate licensed products into Canon. And I know a lot of fans really like to do that. Sorry guys, not trying to rain on your parade. There's a lot of bickering about it among fans, but in its purest sense, it's really pretty simple. Canon is Star Trek continuity as presented on TV and movie screens. Licensed products like books and comics aren't part of that continuity, so they aren't canon. And that's that. Part of my job in licensing is to keep track of TV and movie continuity so I can help direct licensees in their creation of licensed products. It gets a little tricky because it's constantly evolving and over the years, Star Trek's various producers and scriptwriters haven't always kept track of or remembered or cared about what's come before. So, <laughs> so I mean, I think if you get too caught up in what is canon, what isn't, it's it's too frustrating, and it's like that's a kind of a lost cause. I think there must be a middle ground. Um, and I'm not saying that the licensed material isn't official; it is official. But it's canon versus non-canon. What is, what isn't? Like, I don't think of Return to Collinwood as canon, for example, yeah. even though it's an official licensed product with the actors. For me, the the dark shadows, nineteen sixty six to nineteen seventy one, those five years of shows are canon. Even though the canon contradicts itself, we do the spackling thing and try to figure out how how it works. Anything additional to that, it's kind of like pick and choose what what works and yeah. what doesn't, kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I uh, what, what did David Tennant say in Doctor Who and Timey Wimey? You know, to, <laughs> yes. That kind of, yeah, I, I I again, I think you know going back to the idea of the game and things like that. I I think it's interesting to... Look at those contradictions and see if you can figure out why that might be so in the secondary world. But again, life is too short.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right right.
2: You know, um but I, i've I've been thinking about this with Star Trek actually, because with this new series coming out, of course, we are now in right before mm-hmm. the original series started. So we're with Pike and Spock. and of course, Burnham's yeah. gone up to the future. So mm-hmm. she doesn't exist. And that's why Spock never talked about her on the original series. OK, that makes sense. But now mm-hmm. you're going to have Captain Kirk played by the um, the Vampire Diaries guy coming in in season two. Oh, OK. And how's wow. that going to work with the William Shatner continuity? You know, so, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, and then, you know, Picard just goes crazy all with time and all, you know, and in and all that. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think but what I think is the fun. I think the thing is, it's not to see it as a uh, uh, see, as a, a challenge to figure out why that is so, I guess, you know, but some mm-hmm. things are probably never going to make make sense.
1: Like, for example, like the Ross novels could never oh. fit in with the TV show like it, it's 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 really its own thing. And I just look at it as. We mean, we have parallel time in Dark Shadows, so it's yes. a good way to explain all of those versions. But I think when you get into the sequel versions of Dark Shadows, like with the Lara Parker novels, like with the Big Finish audios, like with Return to Collinwood, like with the Dynamite comics or with Reincarnation, if those things are sequel versions of Dark Shadows which one is the yeah,
0: official so,
1: continuation yeah, but, of dark shadow you know what i mean like is the i assume yeah. the tv show if it's a t- tv show or a movie it supersedes everything else i don't know i'm not sure how that works yeah, i
2: mean i mean i i, I think the, the the cleanest solution to this i saw i've seen so far is when disney took over star wars and just made everything that yes. wasn't their lines legendary yeah. so if they're mm-hmm. legends they're not real they're legends and then there's canon you know and i just mm-hmm. but of course you can't, in your mind, you can't discount that. You can't think, okay, I read Heir to the Empire. So now that's legendary. That's not well, real. But actually now with Thrawn, it might be.
1: No. I well, yeah, I was going to say they're incorporate Like John Favreau and Dave Filoni are just throwing in, you know, here's, Everything. you know, Cad Bane and Anton and all these.
2: I know it's It's cool. It was cool to see that, you
0: know.
1: It might be fun to see something like that. If they threw in, like, I don't know, like a, a Ross character or or a character from Big Finish that just shows up, it's like, oh. They've now canonized some aspect
2: so, of this. Doctor Jekyll's son. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, right. But what I'm still looking for in the Gold Key comics, I can I, I, I would love to find a copy of it. Is the one where Barnabas fights Vikings? I just yes. Saga yeah. of Helgi, something <laughs> or other. Yeah. I just think that that is amazing. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, definitely
1: i'm interviewing uh sabrina herman from hermes press this week oh, so we're right. going to be talking about the, those volumes they released of the of the comics are incredible they're beautiful
2: yeah yeah and again that was another way to really build because you couldn't i mean half those plot lines you could never show on tv they would right with him, basically. <laughs> right.
1: Bar- Barnabas with the, the Viking, fighting the yeah, Viking Barnabas wizard. The yeah,
2: you, have a, you only had a living room for a couple of episodes or a kitchen for a couple of episodes. That those like that? are
1: fun, though. The, the, those yeah. th- those things. They're just they're just fun. The first time I saw an old key comic, I I've talked about my uncle Valdemar a lot on this it's show. Who, who, yeah. Yes. Who introduced me to Dark Shadows. And but I also have an Uncle Louie, who's actually is the same age as Uncle Valdemar. But Valdemar is my mother's brother and louis is my dad's brother anyway uncle Louie also liked geeky stuff he was more quiet about it. he was more of a, a star trek fan and i know he liked i remember he liked kung fu the tv series oh, he had kung, kung fu. fu cards yes yeah yeah he had kung fu cards but in his attic he used to go to my grandmother's house and all uncle Louie's old stuff was in the attic so i used to go up there and like look at his stuff and play with whatever, whatever he had up there and he had comic books of their memory at Gold Key, Ripley's Believe It or Not, and he also had a Dark Shadows comic book, um, Creatures in Torment. Actually, you mentioned Creatures in Torment in your article. I was like, oh my god, I think yeah. it was issue 9. I want to say it was issue 9, like 1971, I think. And uh, it's like Barnabas leaping on, on the cover. Uh, yes. Yes. But um, that was my introduction to the Gold Key comics. And I remember, was like, there was a Dark Shadows comic book because I knew what Dark Shadows was already because of Uncle Valdemar, but I didn't know Uncle Louis had a Dark Shadows comic book. I didn't even think Uncle Louie We cared about Dark Shadows. Apparently, he was interested enough to buy one of the Gold Key comics. So I, you know, he didn't he wasn't even living there anymore. So I took the comic home and I would just read it and reread it. And I also remember trying to draw that cover um, to to copy the illustration, the painting on the cover. I tried to draw that and then I colored it in of Barnabas uh, from behind leaping down. I wish I still had that. I remember my fourth grade teacher mentioned Barnabas and I brought the comic in to show the class. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) just a quick correction here after the fact, not that it matters, but I'm going to throw this in anyway. I didn't bring the entire comic in. I remember my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Fortin, from the very beginning of fourth grade, there was a kid in our class whose name was Jeff Collins and she always used to call him Barnabas. And I remember she asked the class, does anybody know who Barnabas Collins? is and I raised my hand. I was the only one to raise their hand, and she was. I, I said he's a vampire, and she was delighted that I knew this uh, information. <laughs> so uh, the next day or a couple of days later, I ripped out that picture of Barnabas in the upper right-hand corner where he's bearing his fangs, a little black and white picture, and I brought that in, and she loved that I brought that in and passed it around the class and had everybody look at the picture so they would know who Barnabas Collins was. (laughs) And it was that very year as well that I finally got to watch Dark Shadows for the first time because that was around the time that Uncle Valdemar got the grainy uh bootleg VHS tapes I've talked about a few times on here from syndication from a friend of his his friend Mark got him you know I don't know, like third or fourth generation uh VHS tapes and this was um about 82 i would say so that was when i finally did get to see the legendary since my earliest memories hearing from uncle val about uh dark shadows and all the stories and looking at the bubblegum cards and the famous monsters and that gold key comic finally i got to watch it yeah yeah so uh the i have a i have a fond association uh for gold a fond memory of a of gold key just from finding that comic and becoming obsessed with it You know, I hadn't seen Dark Shadows yet. I didn't get to see it until 1982. I just knew the legends of it and had seen it in the famous monsters that Uncle Val gave me. But Uncle Louie had that gold key so I could read that story over and over again.
2: No, and that's the thing. And then, you know, like some of my favorites, like, you know, with the big finish, I love the Tony and Cassandra. Oh, mystery.
1: those are fun. Yes. Mm-hmm. And,
2: there's, you know, take two, you know, characters, you know, from the show and just build this whole, you know, again, world out of that, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, two characters you didn't think would ever work together. And, you know, and I thought Laura Parker and and that uh, uh, was amazing in that um, mm-hmm. You know, so, so, yeah, I mean, I think, again, like Tolkien, there's a lot of canvas with dark shadows. There's lots of stories. And I don't think personally, I don't think people should be upset if someone goes off in some you know, direction. And today, I think audiences today are so used to And when you look at these massive universes like Marvel and DC and, you know, all this stuff that they're building. You know, it's just it, 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 they all become their own worlds, basically. And, you mm-hmm. know. You can have the Julia Hoffman Adventures. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I would pay good money to, to for the Julia Hoffman Adventures if anybody decides to do that.
2: Um one, that would be that's fun. One actress I wish I, I had met in real life. I would, would love to have met Grayson Hall. She's oh, just like yeah. incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Those I've, I was watching her as the Countess just last night. And those uh, oh my god, those oh, eyebrows. Oh, she her. was
1: great. She is just so unique. And yeah theatrical like she just exuded this um, confidence and this mm. eccentricity I mean she was just just wonderful and I, I feel like you know when I talk about the big three of Barnabas Quentin and Angelique I should really and also say Julia too with like yeah. she's sort of more the mad scientist archetype I guess she's not mad but obsessed initially Down with, in the
2: basement with all of those weird uh, <laughs> right things yes things that
1: <laughs> yes, I love that. Oh, just so I much fun. That's incredible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think that would be an interesting like if uh, if a new Dark Shadows series were to come out to, to sort of reference the Tony and Cassandra thing, that mm-hmm. would be kind of a fun nod to that. If it's something like that, Where, you know, I read the Sam, I remember reading the Sam Hall article when I first got into the fandom and I was able to get, uh, you know, they reprinted it in several of the zines and stuff. So I was able to read it at that point. And I remember thinking at the time, like, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> so, but it's, you know, it's a, he does say it's a possible world. I, cause I always figure dan curtis had final say and was a huge influence on the direction of the show sam hall wrote that without dan curtis's involvement so i feel like if dan curtis and sam hall and gordon russell wrote that together it would have been a more complete picture of what we might have
2: seen on dark shadows whereas You know what I mean? Well, I've always been fascinated to see, you know, the, the actual creative process. And I, and I don't know where the archive, I guess they're in the Dan Curtis archives, but it would be fascinating to see the scripts and the early drafts and things like that, you know? Right, right. Um, yeah. And, you know, like when it comes to things like, y- y- you know, the, the, the I Ching and or the Leviathan storyline, you know, who actually developed... The kind, I mean, we know who the writers were, but was it, you know, how did those story you know, who was the original creator of that and then how did it develop? And I don't know if, if there was time to do lots and lots of drafts and scripts or did they mm-hmm. just, you know. <laughs> yeah your room and write it basically but it must have been it must have been at breakneck speed because they you know they were filming practically every day so
1: Sure and then they threw the movie into it uh when they were oh, doing Oh yeah and the
2: movie oh, and where does the movie come in the, you know and then Sure you know, we didn't even talk Night about that Shadow? Oh yeah the I movies. always wonder like so it's Night of Dark Shadows so cuz they say Elizabeth is dead at the beginning mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that had to have taken place after House of Dark Shadows
1: Right it yeah. could I've seen Different theories about that. Some people feel it takes place after House of Dark Shadows, and it's a sequel to House of Dark Shadows. Some people feel it's set in its own universe because David is not mentioned at all. So did David die too, or is he away? Was he locked up at Wincliffe? Like, where, 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 What happened?
2: He didn't become a vampire like everyone else in House of Dark Shadows.
1: Right. Yeah. He aren't. Liz and uh, and David, I think, are the only survivors.
2: (laughs) <laughs> Roger <laughs> becomes a vampire, Professor yeah. Stokes.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah. And so again, I always go back to sort of the parallel time thing. It's like yeah, this I think is a
2: parallel time works. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs>
1: like this is a parallel version of of <laughs> what took place here. And then it's like at the end of the movie, did Willie miss barnabas's heart you know maybe he just grazed him because the the barnabas turns into a bat at the end and flies off because they wanted they're setting up potentially a sequel so but that, you know, Fred didn't want to come back. So. Yeah. yeah. So does that mean Barnabas went on to <laughs> to do more horrible things like what what happened after this? So, um, yeah. Did, did you get to see House of Dark Shadows in the theater?
2: I did. I sort of. So oh. they played it, actually, um, when I was living in New York, They played, I went to see it. Mm-hmm. and uh yeah i remember i remember it quite vividly and everyone was like amazed at how bloody it was and how you know different it was too you know just because mm-hmm. it was the original vampire story wasn't it it was in a way what dan curtis originally wanted barnabas to be like Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I, and I thought actually I thought the star of it was Catherine Lee Scott. I mean, I know she was amazing, you know, yeah. She, was,
1: she, she pointed out that Leonard Maltin said she was in more scenes than Jonathan yeah. in the movie, which is, yeah, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. Did you get to see Night of Dark Shadows in the theater too? I
2: saw Night of Dark Shadows later on. I didn't, okay. I don't, I sort of, I it on, um, I think it must've been on VHS or something. Um, oh yeah. hmm and of course, I would love. it. I mean, I know it was cut considerably, so I know that there's work trying to get the the restored version. But uh, yeah, I thought David Selby was brilliant, and, and and Laura Parker was great in that. But it was mm-hmm. it was just such a different kind of story and everything in a way. It was,
1: yeah, you know, it was strange. Yeah, it was he wasn't
2: Quentin. A- he was Charles, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it was it was its own. Definitely, it's own it, it was a very had a very distinct flavor in terms of mm-hmm. um, of being a Dark Shadows uh, project. Um, yeah, I'd love to see the Darren Gross's restored version sure. of, of Night yeah. of Dark Shadows, and I I hope to reach out to him and have him on here at at some point because I'd love to talk with him about that. And hopefully, when we see when we talk about transmedia storytelling for Dark Shadows and yeah. building up the the world of Dark Shadows surrounding the original show. Things like that, if they're popular, if they get enough interest could lead to things like the restored night of dark shadows getting released, for example, you know, or, and other things as well. I'd love to see more. I always talk about more, we need more dark shadows stuff, you know, more dark shadows in the popular culture, more dark shadows, ephemera items, you know, things like, like that, because I find it disappointing when I go to, you know, an event or something like that. And I was, in fact, I was just watching a video by a, very popular youtuber who does great videos and she was talking about uh the new england vampire scare of the 19th century uh 18th and 19th centuries it was it was a you know (laughs) new england is uh, known for the for the witch trials but we also had a vampire scare here uh with mercy brown being the most prominent example of that and she talked about fictional vampires and how mercy brown triggered this fascination with vampires and led to stokers dracula um she talked about carmilla she talked about Dracula, and then she jumped from Dracula right to the Anne Rice vampires, and the way yeah. she described it is, you know, that Anne Rice then spawned things like True Blood. And I said, "You skip." I was just watching. I said, "You skip dark the step Shadow. there between Bram Stoker and Anne Rice. You have to have Dark Shadows. You have to have Barnabas. That is a pivotal moment in vampire history, yes. where where That's that, that transition takes place."
2: Well, it's like when Angel came out, everyone said, Oh, Angel, the reluctant vampire. I'm like, Yeah. That was-
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. You don't get to Angel without Barnabas. I mean, it's exactly. It, yeah. So, and I wish more. That's the thing I, I'd like to see more, at least more. Um, I just think there's a, a, sometimes I feel there's a lack of awareness of, of dark shadows uh, and to the fact that it was such an important piece of. Genre history and had such a massive influence. Even the serialized storytelling in in uh, horror stories and things like that. That's of course we you know we get that with the gothic literature, but. We also now in terms of television, that serialized format is used for all of these types of shows. You know, all of these types of horror, fantasy, sci-fi shows tend to use that serialized storytelling format.
2: Yeah. And what it shows, too. And I always think it's an amazing show to, like, teach gothic literature and things like that because they use those gothic stories, you know, Mm -hmm. but they made it their own, you know, it was Frankenstein. It was, you know, t- turn of the screw. It was that, but it was within the, within the dark shadows world, you know, right, right, and it was recognizable. Yes, that is turn of the screw. That is Peter Quint and blah, 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 but it's within the dark shadows world. So it is Quentin and, and Beth and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But in a way, it, 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 it's kind of like the way Tolkien in many ways, you know, has opened up the world of medieval studies because mm-hmm. people read Tolkien. They love Tolkien. They want to learn more about, about the languages they want to learn more about. And of course, they, you know, they study old English and old Norse and Gothic and all of mm-hmm. that. And that's, you know, the keys to Middle Earth is an actual book that's all about the fact that, you know, that's an entryway into all those languages. And in the same way, I think with Dark Shadows could be an amazing entryway into studying Gothic literature. You know, Absolutely. Got all those tropes there. Um, yeah. And yet, he the, the writers did it in a way that made it unique. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just taking Frankenstein and putting it in dark shadows. It was incorporating the the ideas of Frankenstein and in uh, into the dark shadow story world. You know, right? It was That's yeah was kind of fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Same
1: here. Like yeah, just reimagining Frankenstein mm. in that world, and Jekyll and Hyde, and Dracula, and all of these different. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm just a turn of the screw the picture of Dorian Gray the door without a key Uh, and yeah yeah
2: exactly you know all of that yeah yeah it's amazing of course love I mean mean, the way they the dumb witch horror and all of that for the the leviathans and you know it's amazing
1: the lottery Shirley Jackson I totally um, agree with you in terms of wishing I had access to that information like how did they decide which stories to use and how did that work in terms of the process of writing the show like most of the people involved have point the finger at dan curtis and say dan dan is the one and we know dan curtis was a big fan of that stuff he was a fan of of the classic horror films and and ghost stories and things like that and he uh, i believe sam hall has said specifically that it was dan curtis that came up with the idea of using lovecraft he, he brought them lovecraft but You know, there are all these stories about them having a a Rolodex of summaries of different stories, and Dan Curtis hiring a speed reader to read all these, uh, you know, (laughs) classic horror stories and boil them down. And uh, I'd love, I wish. you know, we we could know more about that aspect of it. Sadly, we've lost so many of the of those people, like somebody like D- George DeCenzo, I bet, for example, would probably have had some insight into that because he was the associate producer and he was Dan Curtis's right hand man, kind of maybe Bob Costello, some of those people and the writers, of course. Um, yeah. Joe Caldwell is still with us. So I mean, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to chat with him at some point. And uh, it was ask. an
2: interview I saw. I can't remember where it was, but it was with Dan Curtis's assistant. <laughs> And she said apparently she she went over to England and brought him back a book on Lovecraft. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm trying to find the the, what book that was. But I mean, we I mean, you know, Lovecraft, it's usually just all his stories in a volume or something. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I have I wonder if that's how he read the Dumb Witch Horror and got the idea for good old jeb hawks
0: right yeah yeah
2: (laughs) it's this thing in the room that no one ever saw (laughs) right the two whiteley
1: brothers merged into one yes (laughs) what do you think the leviathan monster looked like do you have any thoughts do you think it was what what was have you ever uh tried to visualize what it might look like
2: i no. i just think (laughs) of it as that weird breathing noise in the the, the antique shop upstairs Uh, you know that's (laughs) i used to try to draw
1: it like what does it look like like i can't I kept hoping we'd see it, you know, but yeah, uh, yeah, our yeah. minds would not be able to handle what <laughs>
2: exactly. It's unknowable. Exactly. <laughs> <You're right>.
1: Um <laughs> are there any uh classic tales you would have enjoyed seeing incorporated into Dark Shadows? I've asked I've asked several people this and I've gotten some really fascinating replies. Are there any, you know, classic uh Tales um, of terror or novels that you, you know, I agree with are archetypes you. I th- or
2: I think a mummy would have been interesting.
1: Yeah, me too. Yep.
2: I think a mummy would have been, and I know one of the uh, the Marilyn Ross books deals with with the mummy, but that, that one is
0: good. Yeah,
2: yeah, That's <laughs> one with the, with the um oh the archaeologist is living in the building by Collinwood and everything. Oh yeah, yeah for
1: Dr. Andrew Collins, I think. The, Andrew yeah. Collins. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. And the Gold Key
1: mummy story is pretty good too. Actually, as far as the Gold Key stories go, that one was a pretty good one too.
2: Um, I also one so one of my favorite horror movies of all time is is called Horror Hotel.
1: Oh, I, I love think. Horror Hotel yeah. with Christopher Lee. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> White yeah. leave whitewood now and i yeah. <laughs> always wanted to selwyn to come to collinwood and like duke it out with angelique I oh
1: elizabeth it. selwyn versus angelique uh, sign me yeah. up for that that would be <laughs>
2: amazing yeah yeah the last scene of that movie with the cross the shadow of the cross and yeah. then all the witches are burning in the shadow oh i love it I, yeah. oh it was great that's a very
1: moody film don't yeah. don't let the the title dissuade you from watching it folks it's a car hotel you know you're might get this idea it's a b-movie it's it's actually very
2: atmospheric and and eerie and there's the mute there's the mute lottie the mute yes lottie uh, lottie
0: Lottie. yes yes
2: (laughs) oh wow between elizabeth selwyn and angelique would be interesting oh I,
1: i would i would love that that would be great now i love how they kind of if you look at Angelique's arc, I think uh, it was Danny Horn in his Dark Shadows Every Day blog point, points out that, you know, they take these characters that start out as villains, the monster characters, and pit them against worse monsters. Mm. <laughs> so you start rooting for the person you were like, you know, like when you have Angelique versus Laura, you start to kind of like, yeah, go Angelique.
2: <laughs> Angelique, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Yes, you know, so it's it's interesting how how they would do that and then build sympathy for the this, uh, you know, character that started out as a villain, and then you get this, all these anti-heroes leading, leading the show, you know?
2: Yeah, no, it's said I've, I've always been fast, I mean, I think Laura Parker is amazing at it, and the, and the mm-hmm. fact that I, I mean, I love that, you know, that it's been said a lot, you know, when she went for the audition and and Jonathan Fritz said, you know, you're the heavy and everything, and when yeah. then mm-hmm. she did that look into the camera with those eyes and everything, but there, I was, it's funny, the episode I was watching last night, there's a certain vulnerability to her, like she she basically he says, Ben, I need you, you know, and then mm-hmm. she's asking Ben's advice on what to do because Jeremiah is leaving. Yeah. You know, so there is a he, she played it with a you know, there was a hell hath no fury, but there was also a, a kind of vulnerability to it. And you mm-hmm. she developed that over the year. And, you know, you do feel kind of sorry for her because let's face it, you know, she was you know, she Barnabas did say, you know, did have a fling with her and everything and then threw away for Josette. Yes. You
0: know? Yep. <laughs> you know,
2: yeah. They're, they're, yeah, I mean I think they take a they, they go through a very long journey and everything. But even last night when she was being, you know, Angelique the Witch, there's a certain vulnerability to the way she plays it, which I think right. is-
1: I, I I and I think what ends up happening in 1840 is is interesting too with regard to Barnabas and Angela. A lot of fans hate that. A lot of fans like that. But I I think it almost makes sense, you know, because they're I always saw them as as two sides of the same coin. And I've quoted this before, you know, with Magda saying, uh, ah, those two, they deserve each other." <laughs> <laughs> they deserve each other. They deserve each other. It's and it's kind of true, you know. And so uh, I mean, eight, what are your thoughts on 1840? Like that's where you came into the show. Do you do you? what do you, what do you think of, of the 1840 storyline with the, uh, with Judah
2: Zachary I and I like the head. I liked it in the mask of ball. Yeah. Yes. I yes. I lo- yeah. Brilliant hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think James Stone caught my attention fairly early on from what I remember. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought it was good. I mean, I thought the whole, uh, there must've been some real discussion in the writing room about the Miranda Duvall and, and all mm-hmm. of that. And, and having Anjali, you know, be Miranda Duvall and and mm-hmm. stuff like that, I thought that was kind of, but I thought the ending, you know, yeah, it was heartbreaking, you know, in that last mm-hmm. moment, she gets, you know, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't watched it, but yeah, I I, I liked it. I thought, I thought it was interesting. I mean, James Storm was almost like another Quentin Collins, but then he, <laughs> they kind of changed that, didn't they? They gave him more dimension and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I thought the head of Judah Zachary was good. I thought the trial went on a bit too long.
1: I, I agree with that. I, I thought I liked 1840, especially the first half of 1840. I thought it was really strong. But I do think it was interesting, the witch trial. But it, at, for after a while, it was it did start to get from this protracted like trial. Yeah. And it it was just like 18 a eight, witch trial in 1840. But, you know, Collinsport is of this is, isolated little
2: one of this is a lawyer, you know, and he's <laughs> a It's like, when did he go to law school? When did that? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the last resort, vampire lawyer. There, there's another yeah. spinoff. Where actually he was, he was, oh. you know, the curse. Although, and that's although, the other oh. thing too. It's like, how is Angelique able to? Oh, well, spoilers. I I put a spoiler tag at the beginning of every okay. show now. Okay. So, but Angelique lifts the curse. But she yeah. was never able to do that before. So how
2: but all of a sudden she can lift the curse. I know
1: it's <laughs> like you could have done that the whole time because it's clear she didn't seem to be able to, to do that at one point. So how is she suddenly now maybe 1840 Angelique? I mean, she's this is Angelique after she has come back from the dead and is, you I know, as because yeah. well no because 1840 no, Angelique no, doesn't remember yeah this is yeah. yeah Angelique where she doesn't she hasn't lived that life yet her time someday I want to do an episode where that explores that's Angelique's funny. timeline because that's mind-boggling. We um, need
2: to, you need to get on some like really good time ta- tra- time travel experts or something and we can yes timelines <laughs> yes. and how they work because yeah <laughs> there there are times when you think like isn't there one episode where she says to Barnabas like you've already changed time or something yes like in
1: it. 1897. Yeah. Yeah. The way it it works is like you have, I guess, Miranda, a lot of fans have sort of accepted the idea that Angelique is a reincarnation of Miranda because that's the only way that works because we hear in 1795 that Countess Natalie Dupre remembers Angelique when she was a child and remembers her mother. So she must have been reincarnated from Miranda. And then 1795 happens. She dies. She comes back from the dead. Presumably Diabolos sends her back. And now she's- She's even more powerful after she comes back from the dead. Then we get, I guess we get 1840 Angelique, the first run of 1840 without Barnabas. we know Angelique is visiting the mausoleum. Then we get Cassandra, 1968 Angelique. And then we get the return to 1796 Angelique, who was sent back as punishment. To live in 1796, I assume to relive without being able to change things because she acknowledges her experiences in the future. So she's already lived as Cassandra in 1968. So she's sent back to 1796 and she is destroyed again. She's burned by uh, Ben and Barnabas. Then we get 1897, Angelique, because 1897, Angelique knows David and remembers.
2: Yeah, because said, I knew him as Cassandra. Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: And so we got 1897. Then we get um, 1970. We get uh, Leviathan era Angelique who knows Quentin and remembers 1897. And then we go to 1840. And this is a previous version of Angelique's. So it's a bit, so this version of Angelique in 1840 doesn't, hasn't experienced the future yet.
2: And of course it becomes Catherine harridge and then it gets really confusing. Oh <laughs> yes. The
1: 1841 parallel time. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, Did you like 1841? Great
2: costumes. They must have oh, gotten a yeah. really in, increase in costume budget. That's for sure. But I loved, I loved the lot. It actually made me read the lottery, um, which is, oh. you know, Oh, it's great. Four yeah. of the story is interesting. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But I, I immediately read that because it's said, Oh, that's all based on the lottery. And I said, Oh, Okay, I'll read that. I, no, I thought I thought it was interesting. And, it, and I think Jonathan Fred was just so relieved to play another character. Yeah, I thought I it was thought, interesting. I, I, I mean, it was Wuthering Heights and it, and it, it, it worked. I thought the, the chemistry between the two of them was, was amazing, you know? I, I
1: agree. Yeah, the Wuthering Heights meets the lottery. The only thing I wish with 1841 parallel time, I wish we had a main timeline character to anchor mm-hmm. that like we did with 1970 parallel time. Like it would have been... Where was it? Was it? I was. Oh, it was um, Jeff Thompson's article in Running Home to Shadows. He wished that Professor Stokes had stayed in 1840 and gone into 1841 parallel time to be okay. our our link to the present. That would have been interesting. I, I that's the because it just seems almost like it's off on its own in 1841 parallel time. It had,
2: was it Trask? It was, wasn't Trask, Trask
1: did. He, yeah. Lamar Trask. Then, yeah. yeah, he did go. His body, yeah,
2: (laughs) he died in parallel time. I would have loved to, I would have loved to been in the room when they came, you know, what was the thinking behind that? Was it, okay, let's try to, in these last couple of months, let's just create another whole world with, you know, new characters, new stories, and not have it connect in any way, Mm -hmm. you know? Were they thinking, well, the audience is starting to get bored of us, so let's try to create some. I don't, I don't know. It's interesting. It'd be interesting to see what the rationale was behind that. Act was on for you know, was it something where they were, all the actors were basically saying, you know, we want to do something different. We're sick of you know mm-hmm. being the same characters. Would... Yeah,
0: because yeah,
2: I mean, they kept. I mean, you know, Joan Bennett, Grayson Hall, they were all on it basically. <laughs>
1: right. I mean, and they brought back Louis Edmonds for to be Brutus, yeah. and we had oh, Nancy true. Barrett and John Carlin. I mean, they were they were all there. So, I mean, by December, they knew around Christmas time. I believe they already knew that the show was going to be going off the air and we know everybody was losing steam at that point dan curtis was interested in making movies the actors the writers were getting burned out you know gordon russell was carrying a lot of the load by the end so i wonder if they were like well we're going to go we're going to be off the air in a a couple months anyway so let's do something totally different maybe it was something like that but it would have been nice to have more a little more closure in the present with the present day characters you know But maybe that's what's led to I don't know, maybe that sort of ending was also also played into the desire for more Dark Shadows, you know, it's like maybe so. So my last question here, what is your favorite storyline of all time for Dark Shadows?
2: I would have to say 1795. I mm-hmm. just, it's funny re-watching it. They were all, I mean, just the, the uniqueness of the idea of, you know, going back in time, using the same actors and actresses in different roles, having Vicky, you know, react to that fact. You know, the fact she sees Nathan Forbes and she thinks it's Joe, you know, and all this. So that, that's really interesting. And mm-hmm. just the fact that that really did, You know, and you could tell the I think you could tell the actors were really enjoying it. You know, there's that Mm -hmm. real sense of energy and everything, I think. And I just think the stories are fantastic. And the introduction of Angelique. And it kind of did set the whole tone for the rest of the series. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I think 1795. I'm also a big fan of 1990. I love I love when they. Oh, yes. When they go to the future.
1: future. Yeah.
2: (laughs) With Mad Carolyn and and you know all of that. It's great, yeah. You know, which was considered the future then, and now of course is the past. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I but I, if I had to, I think, and you know, and rewatching it, I mean, it's just so good, seventeen ninety five. So yeah,
1: yeah, and it it informed you know the rest of the series. I mean, there's they continue to reference the events of 1795 and the characters of 1795 up until 1840 they're still talking yeah. about you know Victoria Winters witch trial in 1795 well they change yeah. it to 1797
2: oh but... yeah they keep yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh, where they're playing around with the dates and then like someone finds a bunch of clothes and they go who's oh that was the old governess or something
1: right like that. Yeah, yeah yes yeah <laughs> all right andrew well thank you so much for visiting with me today oh, and taking you. the time to uh, to geek out and discuss dark shadows yeah. and explore this wonderful world. Uh, that-
2: I usually listen to this podcast on the beach in Brighton. I live in Brighton, uh, UK, and I usually listen to this on the beach on Saturdays morning. So, oh. I'm Although I can't stand my voice, but I guess
1: I'll... Oh, <laughs> come on. You have a great voice. It's, that's great. So you watch the waves crashing on the
2: shore as... as you know. Just like at the beginning of Dark Shadows. Oh, exactly.
1: perfect. Oh, that's 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 a, that's fun. Well, thank you. I'm honored that you listened to it that way. And I appreciate you joining me today. Um, folks, be sure to... And where can folks... Uh, by the way, uh, is this book avail, uh, available for uh, the... the uh, it is. It's...
2: It's on Amazon and things like that. Definitely. Um, I also have a a blog called Dr. Votan's blog. It's Mm -hmm. one of my things that's got some of it on there as well. Um, It's not an inexpensive book. um, So yeah, but parts of it are on my blog as well. So they can email. uh, I'm happy to give out my email if anyone wants to contact me, if that's okay to do
1: for, if you would like to do that, feel free.
2: so it's A S T Higgins, H I D G I N S at me
1: Great, and I will link to your blog as well, uh, and to the Amazon listing uh, for uh, the book. This is a it is a scholarly um, collection of essays, so it is um, it is a little pricey uh, from what I remember looking at it, but it's well worth it. I mean, it looks like there there are many interesting essays in the book, so um, I will link to that as well. Um, And folks, uh, please be sure to share this podcast with your friends. Be sure to rate, review. And subscribe to the podcast this is all about keeping dark shadows alive or undead as it were so please do continue to uh tell your friends about it and uh thank you very much for
0: listening and for as long as they lived the dark shadows never truly vanished for there will always be terror at collinwood Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.